everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm thrilled that you can join us today. We're going to have a really interesting conversation. Our title today is Dignified Dementia. I'm still listening. And I can't wait to hear a little bit more about that title that our guests chose today. But first, um, I just want to welcome everyone who's new to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I started this show because my own mom lived with dementia for 30 years. And don't fall off your chair. That's a real number. Um, you know, but most of her journey really was was. Um, quite nice and taught me a lot of beautiful life lessons. And my goal with the show is to connect people around the world to services, products, and tools, and to be a giver of hope, to give you choices and, um, and to improve your quality of life while you're living in the trenches. Uh, if you are diagnosed, if you're a family member, or if you are a professional or advocate uh, that is out there serving this population. I also want to say thank you to the Mark Arneson Band for allowing us to use their opening music. I, I just love that so much and uh, just find it really, really uplifting. Um, this, the, let's see. On June 27th, we're going to be doing an open mic. So if you're interested in being part of that, please email me at all. Please email me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com. Um, that will be a recorded session. And we would love to hear from you on that. Also, if you're looking for free resources, please check out our main website, alzheimerspeaks.com. Uh, there, there is one whole tab that is filled with a variety of free resources that you can tap into. Um, you'll also be able to access Dementia Map from there, which is a global resource directory. And you can also find out information on our book, Betty the Bald Chicken, Lessons in How to Care. We are going to hear from the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner, and we will be right back with our guests. I love the footbar walker, and let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest. There are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the Footbar Walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. 
That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. Well, it is that time to introduce you to our guest today. And I am thrilled to introduce you to Jennifer Deserich, who is the founder and executive director of Dignify Dementia, which is a nonprofit organization that she created after years of being a care partner to her father, Jim, who was diagnosed with Lewy body dementia and Parkinson's disease in 2018. Jennifer is a trained public health research scientist and educator, as well as a compassionate advocate for aging adults. But she never expected that her own family would end up on a journey like this one. Both she and her mom have been living caregivers for her father since he's been diagnosed. So Jenny, I am so excited to have you on the show today. Um, I always love hearing family stories and what motivates people to step into this space. I think we have so much in common. And so I'm going to have you start out, if you don't mind, giving us a little background about how you've personally been touched by dementia in your life. Well, I'm so honored to be here. and Thank you very much for having me. Um, And it's an honor to hear you say we have a lot in common. (laughs) Um, My um, personal, I've been personally touched by dementia with my father. He was diagnosed with Lewy body dementia in 2018 and his Lewy body specifically um, is with Parkinsonism. So he has um, the foot drop that's, typical of Parkinson's. He has the tremors. And um, as we've progressed, he has really, uh, you can just, you can see the Lewy body diagnosis. He's had multiple falls and just, I would say just the last year and a half, we've had a pretty steady cognitive decline where, um, it's getting harder for him to find words. It's getting harder for him to write. And so my mom and I are his caregivers and, um, we all three live together. And so the three of us are a team Mm -hmm. and we make it work some days, not pretty (laughs) and other days, um, other days, it's heartwarming and amazing. And so it's, I, we, we try to look at this as a blessing um, and enjoy the time that we have with each other. And we practice a lot of, or try to practice a lot of radical acceptance and <laughs> just, okay, here's where we're at right now. Yeah. So, And that is so important, that acceptance piece. Now, does your dad have, you know, hallucinations and nightmares and things that so many do with with Louis? Indeed, yes, he does have the hallucinations. And we actually had them fairly well under control um, for a while. But in the last six months with this particular steady decline, he has been waking up probably once or twice a night with a hallucination, thinking something's on fire or um, seeing people on his ceiling fan that are waving at him. Um, 
And actually just the other day or last week, he woke up and he was absolutely convinced he had to go to work. That was uh, an exercise in patience and compassion with me and my mom convincing him that, hey, guess what? You know, you don't have to go to work. You're retired. And um, this is your brain tricking you. And it's not fair. It's not fun. But we're here for you. And so he does indeed have those. um, Not too much during the day. Um, He will have an occasional, I mean, what we would look at as a nightmare versus a hallucination. Um, And those are also hard to deal with um, at times because he'll wake up and then he'll go look for something. Since we've changed around our arrangement of how we sleep and where we sleep to make sure that if he gets up, we know. So um, he's never thankfully uh, gone out of the house without us knowing. Um, But yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, dignified dementia. Why that term? And, you know, why did you develop your organization? Honestly, it's um, a combination (laughs) of my compassion and a deep desire to help. We, um, we've always been a family like that. And when my dad was diagnosed, his second or third question out of his mouth to the neurologist was, how do we help other people like me? And I looked at him and I said, well, let's, you know, let's try to go about helping you a little first, and then we'll see what we can do to help other people. And so Dignified Dementia, I I came up with that name because there's there's a lack of dignity that people associate with dementia. And a lot of times it's undignified how people with dementia or any neurocognitive neurodegenerative disease is, are treated. And um, to me, just seeing the journey that my dad has been on, and especially in the healthcare system, we've had some really good experiences where he's been treated well. Um, but then we've also had some experiences where, you know, trained professionals will be three inches from his face, talking very slowly and loudly to him. And it, it's, just more confusing. It's not helpful in, in any way. And so I, I wanted to do something that would really help inspire others to learn about dementia and to, you know, the more you, in my opinion, the more you learn about it, the more you educate yourself, then you can provide that, that dignity, I feel. Um, a lot more when you know about certain things, like, for example, Louie, when you know about the personality changes or the hallucinations, I mean, hallucinations come with many other forms of dementia as well. But knowing how to 
provide dignity is, I thought it would be innate, um, but it is not. <laughs> and some people need more help than others. And so we are a small nonprofit is out of Colorado that is ever evolving. And we provide resources. We're web-based um, right now. We provide resources for folks locally and some nationally. We're, we're building our resource list. We also um, offer the toolkit that I've developed for my dad as he progressed in his disease. And as we learned more about it, um, the doctors told us, well, you, you need a wellness journal and a routine that helps. Um, and my dad is very routine oriented. Um, but I used my background in public health and um, actually early childhood education um, to develop the products that I developed that he uses every day and has used every day to help keep himself straight. And he tells me all the time, no, I don't want to stop using these because I offer him that, that chance because he is so confused these days and he's having a hard time seeing and hearing and then the writing with the, the tremors. Um, and he opts to do it still every single day because he says it makes him feel a little less crazy. Um, and it's, it's bright, it's colorful, it's tailored specifically to what he does. And, um, I can tell you that, um, what I've done is sort of generalize the components to sell them on the website to benefit the nonprofit and the components, there's five of them. They're a, a calendar, uh, what I call an eating today guide, then the wellness journal. Um, there's the medical information tracking form and then the medicine tracking form. And the five components complete the entire toolkit, but the ones, the resources that my dad uses every day are the calendar, the eating today guide and the wellness journal. And so what we do with the calendar is we slip it in a transparency and he has to write the year. He has to um, figure out what day it is. And then we use dry erase markers because um, I'm, I'm trying actually to be environmentally responsible as well. So we're not, you know, just printing papers and recycling them and all of that. Um, so his calendar, he circles the day and the date, and then he has to write out the full date with the dry erase marker. And the eating today guide is, um, I developed it when he could still, when it was still safe for him to cook. Mm -hmm. um, Cause he could, you know, he could do a breakfast sandwich in the microwave um, or, you know, make a grilled cheese sandwich or something like that for himself. And in order to simplify his life and to 
to track what he was eating. I developed this eating today guide where it corresponds with a number. And I just, I picked three because I thought that was, I mean, that was something that he could understand and he still understands it. So he'll have, he calls them a one or a two or a three. And um, that's on the other side of the calendar in this dry erase sleeve. And so he can track his meals just by circling the number that he's going to have. And now it's a little more involved for me and my mom than it used to be um, because he is no longer safe to cook. So there is one breakfast on there that, you know, or two that we have to cook for him, but he can still get around, get his bowl, get his spoon. Um, and he's starting to forget where things are. Um, but we're there to help him. And, um, we try to use each experience, each meal experience and each experience as, um, a way of, of settling him and, keeping to that routine. And then the wellness journal is what he likes the most. Mm -hmm. um, As I said, doctors kept telling us we need a wellness journal and I, I journal often and I had never heard of a wellness journal before. So I went on Amazon like everybody and just searched for it. And I bought three different ones and we tried them and none of the three made sense to my dad. And they asked for much more in depth information and writing than he was capable of doing, even at that time early in his diagnosis. So that's how I came to create what we have now and what we do sell at Dignified Dementia. Um, it's a series of pictures and check boxes. There are small sentences that he writes out. Um, I try and do a journal prompt question every day that reflects on something positive or goes back to our gratitude practice of, you know, what are we grateful for? And um, try to really start the day on something positive. Um, and we keep track of these wellness journals. We actually take them to the doctor when we go visit his palliative care specialist and neurologist. Um, it just, it, it helps him regiment his day and sort of, he can see what happened during the day. He can read about it in his own handwriting. So it's not him asking the same question over and over. He may ask the same question over and over, but he has it written down. He knows where to find it still. And it's, you know, just tracking little things like dreams or hallucinations, um, how long he was asleep. Again, we track what he eats. Um, and then he tracks whether he took a shower or, uh, shaved things like that, just, um, really basic and hygienic and medical information that help him 
stay where he needs to stay. Um, and without the stress of having to constantly ask about it. And the other two components I mentioned, the medical information tracking form, um, as I said, it, it completes the toolkit, um, but he doesn't really do anything. It's That's more meant for the caregiver. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a fair amount of work because it tracks uh, all your doctors, when the last time you saw them was, um, all your medications, prescription, over-the-counter supplements, um, dosage, why you're taking them. Um, and actually on his, I even have a picture of the medication because it used to be safe for him to take his own medications. Now we administer the medications. So he doesn't necessarily need to know, but we like to make sure that he can know if he wants to, because we never give him any pills without telling them what they are. We never, um, well, we don't give him any pills without asking. Um, And that has served us well. And Honestly, the amount of work that goes in the front end might seem a little intensive, but we've had this sheet um, evolving for five years now, and we've never had to fill out new patient paperwork. I just scan it, send it to the doctor, and we're all good. So it's very helpful. And then there's the medication tracking form, and that actually keeps track of we use it to keep track of the one narcotic that he takes and the one benzodiazepine. And that's what I recommend it for, for people, especially if there's more than one caregiver or if there's a caregiver coming to the home and leaving the home, um, you can write down the medicine, what time you gave it to him and how, what the dosage was to half a pill, a full pill, um, things like that. And it, for us, um, it just cuts, reduces our chances of medical errors and because errors with medicine are so common and people with dementia are so sensitive to medications and it's very important for the right hand to know what the left hand's doing. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it's just a simple spreadsheet. So, you know, on the medications, I totally get that. I remember dealing with my own folks mm-hmm. and they used to be able to take their own pills in the bottles and life was fine. And yeah. then all of a sudden that got confusing. And so I ended up doing a med sheet and then that got confusing. And then I ended up getting little dots for the top of uh-huh. the bottles and putting it on the med sheets. Yeah. And then that got confusing. And then I started putting them in the, the pill cases. Then the pill cases got bigger and I got a bigger one. And then that still got too confusing and they'd pop something open and three of them would pop open. They'd be all over and mixed up. Right. So then, then I went to using little key envelope holders, you know, just oh, yeah. little, little small ones and uh-huh. morning, afternoon and night, you know, was when they had to take theirs. Yes, I could put those out for a day and then that got confusing. And then I'd have to run over. These are morning. These are afternoon. 
days or night because I wanted them to have as much independence like you absolutely um, you know to do that but it but it is critical and it gets really confusing when those meds get changed and I don't know how many times I was at the doctor and they're like now when did that change and I'm like you have the chart but right. I but I could find it faster <laughs> in my notes yeah. than, than they could and it got really really confusing for my folks of well now I'm taking a half a pill and you know, all of yes. those types of things. And you don't necessarily want to throw stuff away because you want to be able to, to use what you have. So I am, I am a big component of having some kind of tool, you know, to do that. And then same with the medical appointments that can get really complicated because it's not just dementia. It could be the heart doctor, diabetes or podiatrist or, it, you know, the annual yes. appointments, um, and I loved when you said, you know, we didn't have to fill out any paperwork. I just scanned it in and gave it to them. Yeah. And, and that can be so helpful for your appointments too. If you're having issues, if you're noting some of that stuff down, um, mm-hmm. in terms of, um, just clocking, like when are the hallucinations happening or have right. sleep patterns changed? I don't know if that's included in, in your forms and stuff as well, but I know the doctors always said, if you can document it for us, it's going to be easier for us to find a match in terms of what will work. And, um, you know, anything to make it, like you said, more dignified for the person diagnosed and less stressful for those caring for them, because you have so many balls in the air um, that it can get overwhelming. And the the eating, uh, the wellness journal, I thought was wonderful. And I liked that you were using you know, the, the check boxes and you'd write here and, you know, it's, it kind of almost the way you described it without seeing it reminded me almost of a, of an interactive game or, or like a, I don't want to say like a, um, a, what do they call them? The, what are the words, the crossword puzzles, you know, when you've got to figure pieces out yeah, you know, um, for them, or, you know, when you go to, um, go to a restaurant and they have little games for the kids to kind of keep them occupied. Yeah. Just and, a yeah, little activity sheet. Yeah. And so, and not that you're dealing with them on a, on a childish level, but it's an engagement level. It is. People have to understand it's an empowerment thing. Uh, it's a control thing for them. Very and, much so. And I think sometimes people from the outside judge those things as, you're treating them like a child. It's like, no, I'm treating them at the level they're at. And I'm trying to make their experience as positive as possible, because we all want to be in control of their life. Um, Same with the eating today, you know, how many meals did you have, you know, and it sounded like you kind of adjusted that over time. Now, did you do you have like meals they pick from? Um, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he has. So he gets to put his choices down okay um, at the beginning of each week okay and then we just work from those for breakfast lunch and dinner usually breakfast is the same three choices mm-hmm. um but but snacks and lunch and dinner are are different okay and i would imagine as time goes on that that will change i i just remember the experience of like taking my mom out for dinner. Uh-huh. And so at first she could read the menu and then it got too complicated. And then she had her favorite she'd order from. 
And then if we'd go for a buffet, she could maneuver that. And then it got to the point where she would put down five plates because she'd be like, oh, what's over there? Oh, what's over there? And that, that got a little overwhelming. And then we would end up kind of back ordering off the menu and she would get frustrated because, oh, that's not what I ordered, though it was what she ordered, but she didn't remember. So then um, when we went out to eat, again, we didn't do this at home. I I got to the point of, mom, I can't decide. How about we pick a couple of things and we split it? And I I figured I upped the ante of her being happy when the food got there. Plus she was doing me a favor. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> and, and so she felt purposeful in yes. that. And, and that, that sense of purpose is, is so huge. And then the calendar, that whole orientation of, of date and time and year um, is so important. And, and I know, I mean, I have a lot of friends who are retired and they say, that's the first thing that goes, I have no idea what day it is. Cause I don't need to know anymore, but everybody else around you still expects you you know, yeah. to know, to know that stuff. And early on in the disease, that's an important thing for someone to be able to know too. And uh, that whole, that whole time reference. So um, the toolkit sounds fantastic. You know, we have been talking uh, with, with Jenny here, who is the founder and executive director of Dignified Dementia. And she's just been sharing with us kind of her journey with her father and how she's gotten into this space and how she's created some tools, you know, to help you be able to live a more dignified life with dementia alongside someone that you're caring for. You can visit her site at dignifydementia.org for more information. So Jenny, let me let me ask you this, because I know with a nonprofit, you probably have some other arms besides just the toolkit. So let's talk about that a little. Um, We do, actually. Uh, We are fortunate enough to have a licensed clinical social worker on our board, and um, we've developed, with her help, um, we've developed two services that we offer um, once a month. So there's two every month. One is um, a Facebook live chat where... um, Either she uh, will do a, a segment with um, something that is particularly relevant to um, caregivers. We call it the Caregiver Empower Hour. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what we're all about. We want to empower the caregiver to and inspire them to get creative. Um, like you said, you know, as, as the disease progresses, you've got, you know, this gets complicated and then this gets complicated and you've really got to, it keeps you on your toes. But I, I imagine that for many people, it, it can, I mean, for me too, occasionally it gets distressing where I'm, I'm just like, oh my God, what are we going to do now? Because this is, um, this is so complicated. And so, the um, Caregiver Empower Hour has turned out to be something that uh, we wanted it to be, and we still uh, use it as a live tool. And we hope that people will watch it then or tune in for a little while and interact with us, ask their questions. 
um, we've just started doing that. They've um, they've been going for four months now. Mm -hmm. uh, so July will be our fifth month. And um, more and more people are tuning in. And um, this last this last one, we started a three part series of how to have the difficult conversations. We're gonna we had the one about, hey, maybe it's not safe for you to drive anymore. Um, our upcoming one is maybe it's not safe for you to be alone in the home anymore. And then our third one will be, we're going to talk about maybe it's not safe for you to stay in the home anymore. Mm -hmm. And we just really want to provide that empowerment and provide the awareness and the knowledge and really help people start conversations. Um, and so it's, it's been, um, fairly successful so far and more, like I said, more and more people are tuning in. And then we actually do have, um, what we call a mutual aid group through our, um, our Facebook support group, which is called uh, Care Community through Dignified Dementia, Care Community Support Group through Dignified Dementia. I wasn't adept quite at Facebook yet um, when I <laughs> came up with that name. Um, so it, it may be shortened um, later on, um, but that's, that's what we have. And I, I did it that way so that people could join this group. And the only way they have access to the mutual aid group is by agreeing to our, our rules and um, seeing that they meet the criteria. They're either a person who has dementia, a person who is caring for someone with dementia or a medical professional. And we plan on having um, guest speakers at that as well um, to, again, support our caregivers. But we want the that extra level of, you know, you need to join something and we need to see what's going on so that it's a safe space. We know that people really do have this in common. And um, so uh, our board member, her name is Susanna, and she has facilitated um, two groups now. They've been small, but um, more and more people are following us on Facebook. More and more people have joined the group. And so it it's just getting bigger as well. And um, even when the support group was, or the mutual aid group was one person, it really benefited that person. And honestly, that's what I am trying to do. I'm not trying to make a ton of money. I am trying to really get the awareness out there and support people like my dad and families like mine, because there are so many of us out there. Well, and to me, it's never been about the numbers of how many, you know, likes and shares and followers or right. participants, it really is connecting one heart at a time and trying to support them through this. And I know when I started the memory cafes in the beginning, boy, it was a slow go, you know, back in 2011. 
Um, nobody knew what memory cafes were. There was a lot of hesitation amongst other professionals and a lot of angst really that you're gonna take my people. So I'm not gonna refer my people to you. There was kind of this ownership thing, oh. which was very strange, um, but very common. And, and then once people saw what we were about, you know, then they started talking about it. And, and to me, word of mouth is wonderful. And even when you said, well, the groups aren't that big, they don't have to be big to be powerful. And sometimes a, a smaller group allows somebody who might be feeling overwhelmed in a crowd and not feeling like they could really speak up, will speak up and get some right. answers and also volunteer some great knowledge and tips that they've used. So, you know, I, I don't, um, it drives me nuts when, when so many people are, what are the numbers? What are the numbers? It's not about the numbers. It's, it's right. about helping people. If that's one person at a time, you've made a difference and it's yeah. worthwhile and nobody can take that away from you, you know, from doing that. And, and I, sometimes I feel like, only family members get that. Yeah. <laughs> the importance of that. I, I think it's, it's overlooked. You know, I just did a, a program the other day on memory cafes. Mm -hmm. And what came out over and over again was the benefit of peers getting together and the, the smiles and the friendships that were developed you know, which all lead to feeling purposeful and connected and reduces stress. You know, it's, it's not about the likes, the clicks and the shares. It's about a level of, of feeling sane, you know, yes. and feeling not so alone. And it kind of drives me crazy that, that our medical system is not tapping into social supports at the level that they should, given the outcomes that occur from them. Yeah. And it's, it's hard for us as a nonprofit because most funding sources are based on numbers, outcomes. And I understand that as a public health scientist, but it is in, in this, in this arena, it is the connection that you make with one person at a time. They're measuring the wrong thing because that that one person can be making connections you don't know about that will pull people into that group or will pass those resources along. And, and to me, it's really sad that that is not, it's not being looked at objectively because it's subjective, yeah. but, our, but our lives, you know, the living of our lives are subjective. And those are the things, you know, you can't measure purpose by no. a number. It's different for every single person, but it matters significantly and it shouldn't be left out of the equation. No, we're heading in the right direction, mm -hmm. but not quite. We're not quite there yet. Um, and I, I feel like public health is, we're leading the way in it and everybody is noticing for all sorts of things that the social support is key factor um but yeah it, it is i i belong to support group myself and sometimes connecting with that just that dark sense of humor that you end up with a little bit and knowing that things are still funny and it's okay to laugh and it's 
it's okay also to take care of yourself. Laughter, you know, has been said for ages, laughter is the best medicine. Laughter is yeah. at the core of friendships, you know, humor is, and you're not laughing at someone, you're laughing at no. the situation. It, it truly becomes, in a lot of ways, a survival technique yes. to push through and go, okay, you know, I, I might not laugh at this today, but, you know, maybe give me six months and I'm going to look back and go, really? <laughs> that did happen, didn't it? You know, and, you know, my mom's been gone since 2014. And some of those moments are my best moments. You know, I, I'll never forget my mom one, one time she was, uh, I live in Minnesota and usually the weather's you know, we have sunshine, we don't have these dark, dreary periods. But one time, it was kind of dark and dreary, probably two or three weeks, we just didn't have any sunshine, which was really rare. My mom was living in a nursing home. And she had the there was two people in the room, and they had just kind of the cloth between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And the cloth was pulled and I walked into her room, and I could see she was laying on her bed and the sun was just shining. And you know, through the cloth, I could see the shadow of her, you know, she's a short woman, about 300 pounds, and I could just see her laying in her bed and in her, you know, her belly. And I turned the corner and there's my mom with her shirt tucked underneath her boobs and her pants down to her crotch. And she's laying soaking up the sun with this big smile on her face, like Garfield, the cat just soaking up the sun, just totally at peace. And I remember thinking, what do I say to this? And then out of my mouth came, oh, mom, do I have to pull out your bikini for you? Yes. <laughs> and, out of, and out of a dead sleep, she giggles. She opens up her eyes and looks, looks me square in the eye and goes, oh, Lori, I don't think I should be wearing a bikini anymore. And then she went back to sleep. And, you know, she just cracked me up. You know, it was still that sense of humor. And it was like, you know, she just wanted to soak up the sun. And, yeah. you know, that felt good on her body, but it was, I can still, I can still visualize that, but it was one of the sweetest things because actually in that moment, uh, Jenny, she hadn't said my name in three years. And in that moment, she said my name, Oh my! She said, Oh, Lori, I shouldn't be wearing a bikini. <laughs> I, I sat on her bed and I just rubbed her belly and I bawled like a baby for like two hours because I didn't know if she still knew who I was. And that was one of those moments that became so crystal clear that no matter where they are in the progression of the disease, they always know us. They just can't always verbalize it. And so it, to me, it was a gift of humor and it was a gift of recognition that day. I mean, that humor is a way to make them feel heard <laughs> and I want my dad to know, and I want everybody's loved ones to know that we're all, we're still listening. Yep. And my dad had a moment that had us just crying, laughing um, just the other day. And he and I were having a serious conversation. And in the middle of this conversation, he raises his voice and he goes, I'm still listening. And I said, okay, that that's good to know, dad. I, I really appreciate that you're still listening, but I'm, I'm still talking. And um, I went on with what I was saying and he smiled at me and he goes, 
I'm still listening. And I said, wow, dad, that, that is really great. And my mom finally came over to me and she goes, I didn't want to interrupt you. He's talking to the television. He listens to Pandora on the television. And if you listen to it long enough, it change or it'll stop and it'll ask, are you still listening? And so he thinks that all he has to do is just say, I'm still listening and the TV will respond. And unfortunately, the TV doesn't respond, but I did because I just thought, how hilarious is this moment? And my mom and I were laughing and my dad goes, what's so funny? And I said, you, you're the funny one. I said, you're still listening. And he goes, I am. And he goes, but the TV's not doing what I want it to do. And I said, that's okay. We can help you with that. But it's just it's nice to know that you are still listening. And he didn't quite, he wasn't quite with me and my mom where the humor was at, but he honestly continues to teach us things every day. And he teaches us how to hear him. Mm -hmm. And that's what my components do. Um, that's what I want dignified dementia to be for anybody who wants to use it as a resource. Yeah. And I'm just thankful for the opportunity to talk about it today. Well, you know, when you were talking about your dad still listening, a lot of people with dementia use Alexa now, you know, for um, listening. And so yes. then they can verbally respond or it does give them verbal reminders. But I, it's amazing how many people are using that to help them throughout the day, um, ease the process and stuff. So I just thought I would throw that in. Um, what, what is your favorite part of, of um, caring for your dad? It really is the interaction and his positivity because he is still, I, I mean, I miss, I miss my dad. I miss the guy that taught me how to drive. I miss the guy that taught me how to ride a bike, the guy that took me to the emergency room when I needed it. Mm -hmm. And he's not that guy anymore. He's a different guy. He's still him, but it's just a different version. And when I miss those things, I notice that when I interact with him every day and when I listen, he's still teaching me things. Mm -hmm. And quite honestly, what he teaches me is a lot about not to take anything, including myself, too seriously. I mean, this is a very serious subject and a very serious condition, but you can't deal with it if you're always in that flight, fight, or freeze mode and, and a stress ball. And yeah, that I would say is, is my favorite part because yeah. it reminds me that, that my dad, my dad, Jim, the guy who taught me all those things is still there. And I just have to listen a different way. Well, and they're so wise and they're still reading all our nonverbal. So they see our anxiousness. They worry about yeah. us 
getting sick or being overwhelmed and, and, you know, they don't want that for us. And I think a lot of times people think, well, they're not picking up on that. And we just, you know, I'm aging myself here, but you know, they just think, you know, well, I'm putting on my Stepford wife smile, not nothing's getting in. No one's going to know the craziness that's going on at my house or in my head or my stomach or wherever it's happening. (laughs) And, And yet they're reading all those inconsistencies because they know us so well. And, uh, and I think that that's really important. I will add one other thing in on the sense of humor, because my mom always had a good sense of humor. And one time we were up at the cabin and it was winter and we had a couple of steps to go in and in the foyer for how, I don't know how it happened, but my mom fell in the foyer. So my daughter and I are trying to get her up in the foyer and we can't get her up for anything. And my mom is giggling and she's got me laughing and, and my daughter laughing my husband comes in and he's like, this isn't funny. We have to get, and he was really serious. I mean, and that made us laugh even more. I mean, I I just about peed my pants. I'm like, I'm glad the bathroom was close because that's how hard we were laughing, trying to get her up off the floor. And at this time, you know, I would go, mom, can you bend your knees? And she would go, yeah. And she'd bend her finger. Uh Like she's in total compliance, which, you know, got us all laughing even more. And so we're trying to like hoist her up. And again, she's, you know, 300 pounds. So it wasn't an easy maneuver. And it was a, kind of a small space in the, in the foyer there. And Tom and I are lifting her up and her, <laughs> for whatever reason, she was putting her legs and walking them up the closet, you know? Oh. And so I'm, I'm telling my daughter, you know, hit her behind her knees, you know, so her legs will drop, you know, just smack her behind her knees. You know, so just, and Tom was just, it's not funny. And it's like, you have to laugh. And she, you know, she wasn't scared. She just thought everything was funny and she was comfortable. And we, you know, we got her up and got her out of there. And we, we, we laughed about that all night long, you know, um, yeah. It was one of those things that she normally wouldn't remember, but she's like, oh, that was funny when I fell, when I fell in the four year. Yes. And, I... but sometimes it's not, it's not them. It's us that really clams up and, and actually adds more stress because yeah. if you can do it while you're kind of laughing and, and moving through, it takes the scariness out of situations many yeah. times. And it just, it makes it easier to process. Plus it makes for a great memory in the long run. Yeah. So, um, well, I, like I said, I, I thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Um, you've given us a lot of great information. Is we've been talking with Jenny with Dignify Dementia and, uh, you know, it's just been a wonderful conversation of her sharing her personal experiences and a, a toolkit that she developed for their own personal use that can be used by so many others. Is there a fee for that toolkit, Jenny? There is currently a fee for the toolkit. Um, the entire, you can actually buy the pieces of the toolkit, whatever resonates with you. You can buy them individually, um, or you can uh, buy the entire toolkit, and that comes with 45 minutes of my time to uh, listen to you and 
figure out where you're at and help personalize your wellness journal, um, your wellness journal. And, um, that entire package is $60. Um, the components are individually priced also on the website. Okay. So given you get a 45 minute consult with it, that's not bad at all. (laughs) (laughs) That's what people have to have to understand. And does that come digitally to people or in the mail? Um, It comes digitally after we have the consultation. I personalize the forms and then uh, I make them available electronically. Oh, wow. Okay. That's wonderful that you, you personalize them so people don't even have to do that. So that's cool. Yeah. So, so I would ask our, our audience listeners to please be a giver of hope. Um, like, click, and share this because you don't know who in your sphere is actually dealing with this. So many people don't let their friends and acquaintances and, and coworkers and neighbors know because they're embarrassed. They don't know what to do. And so you know, for me, I think it's really important that the more information we get out, uh, the more natural we have this conversation be, the easier it's going to be for people to reach out and get the help they need when they're when they're ready to, you know, when they're ready to go to that next step. Um, people can go to the website again, it's dignifydementia.org. Uh, they are also on Facebook for um, just put in Dignified Dementia. Um, they also have a Facebook group page. Can they get to the group through your, your main Dignified Dementia page? Yes. Okay, great. Um, we'll also have a link. It's just a long number, so I wasn't going to read that yeah. off uh, <laughs> for you. And then you are also on Instagram as well, so people can, can follow and communicate with you in a variety of forms. And did you want folks to have um, an email address or do they just email you through the website? Um, yeah, you can contact us at the email through the website and that's info at dignifydementia.org. Okay. You can also always call Jenny too at 720-633-7635. And again, I want to thank you, Jenny, so much for your time and and your courage to step into this space, not only share your, your stories, but share tools and processes and just insights uh, that have worked for you and your family and, and being able to bring people together through your Facebook live groups. Every one of those things is so vitally important um, in connecting people and giving them hope. So thank you. Yes. And honestly, that's what Dignified Dementia is about is getting people connected to the right resource, to themselves, to their caregivers. And we do that through our toolkit and our other services. So thank you again very much for your time. I appreciate it. Wonderful. And then last, I'll just again suggest to people, you know, go to alzheimerspeaks.com, check out all of our free resources that we have there as well. And uh, you might be interested in our book, Betty the Bald Chicken, Lessons in How to Care. It's a children's book that really is applicable to any age. It's not dementia specific, so you can use it from anything for bullying, divorce, death, chronic illness, any time you don't feel like you fit in or maybe someone that you love or care for um, or are seen as a client is, is struggling. 
uh, it just opens up the door real easily through the um, the beautiful sketches that are in the book and um, and the questions in the back. So um, I would I would um, encourage you to check that out. That can be used as a one on one, or it could be used even as in a support group or mm -hmm. presentations just to get that conversation started. Uh, to me, you know, we are in a world that needs to really awaken to what our care culture is. We don't really talk about our care culture, but it impacts all of us. And right now, I don't think we're doing well with it. I, I think there's proof in the pudding just from the mental illness that we're seeing and, uh, you know, people just not, not feeling like they fit in. Right. And we got, we have to get back to when I was a kid, everybody fit in, you know, it was just, <laughs> um, you just, that's what you did. You got along, you figured out how to get along. Yeah. You got to get along to go along. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, thank, thank you. And thank our audience again, and we will see you next time. Okay. Bye. -bye. I thank you. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.